How do you find the courage to face life when the one who is supposed to protect you attempts to take your life? Today's story shows how God turns misery to ministry. Our guest is Chris Keat, and he'll be sharing how he survived domestic homicide perpetrated by his own father. Hi, and welcome to Define All Odds, brought to you by Mana Express. On this podcast, we share moments that inspire hearts and empower minds. My name is May Oyairo. You know, we always have very special guests with very, very outstanding testimonies um, that come in and share things we can relate to in our everyday living. Our guest this evening is one of such um, persons. He has um, a mind-blowing testimony that, I mean, on reading it the first time, I was, um, I was in awe at the power of God and what God can do in the life of somebody. He's someone that has been through something a lot of us don't go through, but then he survived and he's using his experience, you know, to mentor, to teach, you know, and to encourage others that if I'm still standing, despite everything that has happened in my life, there is hope for you definitely. So join me in welcoming. I don't want to tell you guys, you know, what his story is. I want you to discover it. You know, I love to throw out suspense. I want you to discover it the way I discovered it. Join me in welcoming um, Chris Keith of chriskeith.org to the show. You better stay tuned because you have to hear this outstanding testimony. Welcome, Chris, and your beautiful wife. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, very blessed to be here, to have the opportunity to share my testimony and the way God has, has spared my life and the opportunity to help others. Just through sharing my story, whether it's for somebody who's internally suffering or somebody that just needs to know that they can make it. And I just, I feel blessed to be here. Thank um, you. Thank you for honoring my invitation. I know that, you know, very soon, you know, if it's not happening now, very soon it's going to be, oh, I, my schedule's tight for one year. <laughs> because you have something, you know, people want to hear. People need to be encouraged to eat and all. And I'm, I'm going to ask you, how does it feel motivating people today? Um, it's amazing. It's something that I never really thought I, I could do. I never had the confidence um, in myself and, and now in my family to, to help others. And we were speaking somewhere a few weeks ago where the whole family got to go and we got to, to speak to others just to encourage them to, to not give up on youth. Um, as, a, as a kid, I was scared and alone felt abandoned and betrayed by my dad. And so we're, we were encouraging youth workers to, to not give up on kids and to look for those kids that aren't as outgoing um, and try to bottle things up inside. And it's just a blessing. I never thought I would have this opportunity. And even though I, God spared my life and the, the surgeons couldn't explain how I survived, but, it, you know, it was, it was a God thing. And I'm just, I'm very honored to be able to speak to kids, to churches, to schools, and try to just let them know, hey, you can, pers- you can make it. Uh, perseverance, um, it's something that you may not come right away, but you know, God gives us all the inner strength to, to help us get through the day and to make it and to survive. Amen, amen. You sound, when you said, um, you know, um, you were abandoned, you were lonely, and... Um, 
you know, the emotions you went through as a child, you know, and that, that caused you to shelter, you know, you know, keep your keep to yourself. And I'm sure the viewers are wondering, you know, what what what's what's he talking about, you know, and all. And I've read some, and if you don't mind, we're gonna drive back there if that's if that's fine with mm -hmm. you. That's fine. And now, um, at the age of five, you know, um, your dad, something happened. Can you share with the viewers what happened? Uh, my dad, my parents were separated uh, in the midst of getting a divorce. My dad was an alcoholic, and he he did dr some drugs, and he was very violent. Abusive to my mom. There were several times that my mom took me and my brother to to live at a battered women's shelter. Um, but as a lot of a lot of women do in domestic violence cases, um, she kept taking him back, thinking that he would change, and and maybe staying together for the kids. Um, but my dad asked her. It was a late Saturday, early Sunday morning, and my dad had come over to try to reconcile, to talk to her. And my brother and I had gone off to bed. My brother was three years older. He was eight. And, you know, we were best friends. And so we went off to bed, and my parents were arguing like normal. And we didn't think anything of that because that was normal. Uh, we thought that's just how we thought that happened. People argued. They got physical. Um, but anyway, the fight escalated late in the night. And that's when my, my dad put his hands on my mom for the last time. They were in the fight, ended up in the bedroom. He put his, his hands around my mother's neck and started squeezing. And he, he suffocated her and he finished her off with a pillow. And later at the end of the bed, he then grabbed his 38 and came into our room, stuck the gun next to my brother's head and pulled the trigger. And he came over to me and stuck the gun to the back of my head, right here, and he pulled the trigger. Then he turned, went to the living room, sat down in his chair, and took his own life. It was, they estimate about 18 hours later when my mom didn't show up for work. So uh, she worked at the same place my aunt did, and they were best friends. So my aunt was a little worried, and so she called our house. And no answer, obviously. So luckily, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that she had the she had the feeling that something was wrong, and so she, she took off work and went over to our house. There was no answer at the front door, so she went around the back, and she could see in there a sliding glass door. She could, the curtains were open, and she could see um, my dad in the living room, and she, just, she, she flipped out, and she went next door and called the police, and the paramedics came. All the news crews came, um, and it was just this big, violent scene. That, um, the paramedics, they cased the scene, and one officer reported that Rigor mortis had already started setting in on my body. My legs, the muscles were, they were cold and stiff. Um, and they pronounced us all dead. And they started to leave. Um, by the grace of God, one of the last paramedics, as he was leaving, saw that I had moved a little bit. Um, I was already in the floor near the hallway. And, and I didn't find this out till a few years ago. But um, after I was shot, I actually crawled towards my brother's bed for some help. And I saw he wasn't awake. So then I turned to crawl towards my mother's room because I knew that she could help me. And that's where I collapsed. You know, my, my body just couldn't go anymore. But I just, I couldn't give up. And I had to keep going. And 
I firmly believe that Jesus had his hands on me that night, you know, saying, just hold on, just wait, someone's going to come for you. Um, and they did come for me, and they almost left without noticing that I was still alive. But, and we have the news footage on the internet, you know, the, the, the guy opening the door, we have one alive in here, and it, he was, he was, it almost looked fake because he was so shocked that I was alive. And so then it turned from a crime scene into just um, the object of just trying to save this little boy's life, my life. And just to watch the news footage that we have on the website of the paramedic carrying me out of the house. I'm not sure if you got to see that oh, yet. Sorry. But uh, it's just amazing to see that and to, to think that that's me. And, you know, and then to see them in the other scene carrying my family out in stretchers. And, and they're just, this lady just doesn't know what to do, so she's running with a five-year-old. Um, rushed me to the hospital. I think, I don't know how long the surgery was, probably six to eight hours. And the surgeon told my grandpa... I don't know what we're going to do because if we do the surgery, he, he's, there's a good chance he might die during surgery. Mm. But if we don't do the surgery, he's going to die pretty soon. And then my grandpa said that they said a prayer in the hallway, and then the surgeon went in and did the surgery, and they didn't know what to expect afterwards. Um, they didn't know if I'd have a speech impediment or some kind of, you know, something to, I don't know, be in a wheelchair, just have some kind of handicap. And, you know, I just, they just didn't know what to expect. And when I, when I did wake up and I was in a state where I had no strength and I couldn't talk, they still didn't know what to expect. They didn't know how long did, that it would take me to recover. And so my grandparents, when I woke up, my grandparents were there. And, and they just, you know, they were scared. They didn't know what to expect. And, you know, and then, and especially when we, we go speak, when I go speak with the outreach or even by myself, that's, that's the first part, is that story. But then it turns into God giving me opportunities to, to share with others and to let them know that they can still make it because of, and I, I talk about all the, all the struggles and the trials I went through as a kid. And you know, I don't want to say that, I mean, I don't want to let people believe that I, was, I wasn't loved as a kid. I mean, my grandparents who were in our lives already, they took me and my brother to church every week. They were the ones who ended up getting guardianship of me. And I, I knew they always, I've always known that they loved me. It's just, it was a weird relationship because uh, the state told them when they adopted me that um, they weren't allowed to tell me what happened. So until I was in junior high, I thought I was in a car wreck and that I was the only survivor. And my grandparents were nervous about saying too much information to me. And I was, I was already a shy kid, so I didn't ask questions. So if you don't mind me asking, when did you find out? I was about 12. What happened? And, how did it? How did you get yeah, told? I had, I had been getting in trouble in school. Not like, but like I was trying to be accepted and, and have friends. And so I, I try to be the funny guy, the class clown. And so I kept getting in trouble. And, and I think eventually my grandparents just thought, you know, it's time we let him know. And so uh, we went to see a, a counselor at our church. And then they laid out the newspaper articles and they just sat me down and said, I, I don't know if we waited too long. I don't know if we should have waited longer. But it's time we tell you about your life. And they just started telling me. And, you know, kids are smart. I started figuring things out. You know, I'd go get a haircut, and they'd want to know why I have all these scars all over my head. But um, so I figured things out. I just didn't know all the gory details. Mm. Um, so they, they started telling me all this, and it was almost like happening to me again because I started getting all these emotions back, the hatred, the, the, just, just being angry at the world. Um, and now I was just angry at my grandparents for not telling me about my life, you know, hating my dad for what he did you know, being mad at my mom for taking him back so many times. 
And also as kids, um, even though there's, it's not, you always feel that it's your fault. And so I would always play in my mind what I could have done differently. And, uh, you know, a lot of kids, they do that even though it's not their fault. That must have been a very difficult part was, of your life. It was very hard, and I started turning into, uh, you know, that kid that I'd come home from school, and I would just go in my room, put on, you know, the headphones or turn on the radio and just wait for the next day. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, the only other thing I might do, I may have gone outside and shot baskets until dark, you know. I just didn't want to talk to anybody, and I, tried, I wanted to make it by myself and just somehow make it to the next day because um, I just, somehow I knew it, it had to be better. It had to get better, and... Yeah, it was, that was a rough time. And, and junior high and high school is already a rough time for a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was pretty rough. But uh, that's when I started to, um, started to realize I, I can't do it by myself. I need others to help me. Well, at what point? What was that turning point? Um, I remember I, just, I, was laying, I was laying down one day. And I mean, I don't know if this was the exact moment, but I just remember... It just it hit me that I can't do this. And, um, and then eventually I, I made a friend on my basketball team who, uh, who went to my church, and, and we started becoming good friends, and I kind of saw him as a brother figure. And then right about that time, we got a new youth minister at my church. And I'd always seen a youth minister as uh, the one we used to have. He just organized cool things to do on Saturday and Sunday, or Wednesday and Sunday nights. And you'd go have fun, and then everybody would go home. Um, I never actually seen a youth minister that invested as much as um, his name was Jason, and so I met him, and he he start, he just immediately started investing in all our lives in the youth youth group. I was still the the shy kid in the back that was didn't tell people about my story. Even my best friend didn't know about my story because I wanted to be a normal kid. I wanted to I didn't want people to to feel sorry for me and and only be my friend because I survived a family murder suicide. Uh, so I didn't tell people, but um, and I what I tell the kids when we go speak to the kids with with the outreach. That was a huge moment in my life. Was I, I got invited to go to a church camp on the weekend, and I just went because I didn't have anything to do. And there was some ceremony uh, worship service going on, and I snuck out the back and went back to the to the bunks. Um, I don't know if I was just tired or what. I'm not sure, but I remember getting back to the dorm room. And I heard the door behind me, and it was my youth minister. And he followed me in, and, and he said, Chris, you know, you, you, you don't tell anybody about your story, and I can see in your eyes that you're hurting, and I just want to know a little bit about you if I can. And I, so we sat down. He sat down right across from me. And I don't think I could have told him without crying. It was too raw. I hadn't ever really told anybody. And so I pulled out the newspaper article that I carried in my wallet, and I said, okay, we'll read this. And he started reading it, and I just stared at his face. He started tearing up as he was reading it, and it, that was just a huge shocker to me because I, first of all, you know, I, th- I, I thought it was a huge weakness for a man to cry. So that kind of, and I knew that, you know, yeah. I looked up to Jason a lot, and I was like shocked, but I, I realized that how much he cared for me. And um, to make a long story short, that's the one of the biggest nights that I realized I need other people, and I need to let people invest in me and help me through this, and. You know, Jason and his wife were huge parts of my life, and that was a huge time in my life, about 14, and I'll never forget, you know, Jason and his wife, and I'll never forget 
what my grandparents have done for me and, and some of my good friends in, in high school that have helped me to get through this. Because once I realized that I need help, and also Jason helped me to realize the concept of a Heavenly Father, that a father that would never turn his back on you, you know, I have huge trust issues even to this day. You know, my own dad tried to kill me, so, I mean, I don't know who to trust. And so the whole concept of a Heavenly Father that would never turn his back on you um, was not something that I was used to. And just all these new things I was experiencing, even, even my grandparents would argue how they, you know, a Christian family would handle an argument. I'd never seen that before. I was used to my parents getting violent, uh, getting physical. And so just, that was a, an amazing time as far as, as, as God showing me things to do, ways to go. And then a few years later at a Christian conference during the summer is where I met Jeff Moody, which is the director of the outreach I work for. Um, well, I don't, I don't work full time. Um, eventually I hope to, but for now, I just, I'm, when I'm off of work, I'm part time. Um, when I get a chance to, we, we, we speak to churches, public schools, and most recently, juvenile justice facilities, which is the most amazing thing that I've ever done. Looking into these kids' eyes that are, um, people see them as, you know, forgotten youth. You know, people don't want to go in and speak to them. And we just go in and we tell them, you know, that we're just here to let you know we care about you. We don't want to, you know. And it's just amazing to, to get to share with them and let them know that people care about them. Because for the longest time as a kid, I thought that I was, that no one liked, no one loved me. I mean, I always knew that my grandparents did for what for the way they stepped up and took care of me. But um, that was a huge part of my life. Once once I realized I need other people to help me. Such a beautiful story. So many nuggets, and um, it's this. I mean, it's very important to have a mentor. Mm. You know, as a youth, you know, you brought out something very critical, very crucial. You know, I mean, you're going through something. If there's a viewer watching this evening, a youth and you're going through something, I mean, just open up. Look for someone you can talk to. I mean, that was what really set him free from, you know, the bondage of, of keeping it all, you know, within and not trusting anyone. When Jeff, that's his name, came into his life, you know, that, that um, started a whole new process, and that's what, you know, is responsible for him encouraging others today. Do you agree with me? I agree, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and God is doing so many amazing things right now. Um, you know, and I, I say a lot, one of my goals is to not end up like my dad. But, you know, and honestly, my biggest goal, obviously, is to be like my Heavenly Father. Um, you know, and then we all have other goals. It's, I want to be a good husband to Crystal and a good father to my son. And I think about that a lot. And I even had someone say to me when I was younger, are you afraid you're going to go crazy like your dad? And I never thought about that. And so I, I made a point to, to myself that I would never do some of the things that he did. So when, when you made it a point to yourself, you not do some of the things your dad did, what are the conscious steps you're taking? I try to be, I don't know if it's patience exactly, but like if there's an argument, I don't want to step over that boundary of, Maybe, I don't know, it's, it's hard for to explain for me, I guess. But Do you have I'm, a tempo? Uh, no. No, he just likes to argue. I like to argue. <laughs> I'm very argumentative. But um, <laughs> he maybe, doesn't have like a, a temper, mm -hmm. but he likes to. 
exercise is right. He yeah. likes to pretend he's right. <laughs> Maybe that's my way of my way of getting people to talk to me and and, mm -hmm. and But he's good at apologizing too. Yeah, I, I I got to see my grandfather who was a good, he's a good Christian man. Um and they're um uh, this all happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And mm -hmm. that's where they're still living. And you know, they, they, him and my grandma would get in an argument and no matter who was right, who was wrong, he would come in the room ten minutes later and apologize. Mm. And that was just that was really cool to see. Um uh, a Christian relationship that I'd never seen before. When you look back at everything that has happened, what do you think the Lord was trying to do in your life? Why do you think the Lord spared you? You know, I thought about that a lot. And, and you know, I even had someone say to me when I was younger at church that, you know, I don't know why, why God saved you. It, it could be something you're going to be doing. It could be because your son's going to be uh, the next great, you know, evangelist. I, I'm not sure. But, I mean, there's a reason. And um, someday I'll, I'll, I'll get the opportunity to do ministry full-time, and that's my passion. Uh, it's not, it hasn't happened yet, but I know it will. I, I just don't think that God spared my life to not share it all the time. I see. And um, your father, how do you feel right now? I know growing up there was... Um Lots and lots of bitterness and you know resentment and so forth. But how do you how do you feel right now? Um, I have forgiven my dad, and that's something I I do like to stress to people, um, because I get a lot of I've gotten a lot of emails. You know, you just need to forgive your dad. Life will be better, and maybe that's because they didn't see the end of the story. And and the story's not over by any means. But I have forgiven my dad. It's made my life a lot better because I my wife deserves better. My son deserves better than for me to spend my whole life mad at my dad. I can't change what he did. Uh, I miss my mom, my brother like crazy, but I, I can't change that right now. Do you still remember them? Yeah, I have memories up until that happened. Um, you know, I thank God that I don't remember that night that somehow has been blocked out. And I remember right after that. So um, one of the, the most scariest moments in my life, I didn't say this earlier, but was when I woke up in the hospital room. And, you know, bandages and I couldn't I couldn't talk and I had no strength and I, I was looking at the doorway that was right right over here and people from our neighborhood and my grandparents church were coming in bringing gifts but I just kept staring at that doorway because I really didn't care that all those people were, were bringing gifts I was looking for my mother you know I was waiting for her I was waiting for her to walk through you know to tell me that it's going to be okay and it never happened and, and I was dying inside and it was literally the scariest moment of my life I didn't know what was going on, and there's, so there's, there's there's few moments in my life that were just huge stepping stones for me, and I'll never forget them. And I use those as tools to maybe speak to others, and and I'm by you know I'm I'm not I'm no special person, but through what God has done in my life, um, I feel I can help others. That's very so. good. That's very good. You can identify the role the Lord has called you to play, because that's, that's how I read it. Mm. He's chosen you to carry a very um, compassionate message, an urgent message to people. You know, hey, if um, with everything that happened to me, I'm standing, how much more you, you know, and all. And your wife, I mean, how did you meet your wife and how has her presence in your life, you know, um, brightened it the more? Because I see... Yeah. She's, I see love between the both of you. So. She's... she's a lifesaver. I, I met her at, at Bible College in Missouri, um, and we just knew right away. But um, 
I don't know. It's I got married as a teenager. I was married when I was 19, and I think I was just I was so readily ready to accept that because I wanted a family. I've been longing for a family since I was little. And Crystal was the perfect person. And three years later, we had a perfect son. And, and mm. it's just, I'm, I'm excited to be able to have a family again. And they're supportive. Uh, there's times when I go on these trips and I'm gone for a week or a week or two. And, you know, they're very supportive. And my son has got a huge heart. And there was one day, actually, really quick, my wife came home from home um, and I don't remember or she was she came in the room and she went to the computer and there was no paper like computer paper it was all gone and she, she was wondering where it was and she went in the bedroom and she saw that my son had paper all over the floor and he was making paper airplanes mm-hmm. and he'll tell you about it if you ask him but um, and she, before she got mad she asked him what he was doing and he said that he was making paper airplanes for each one of the kids that daddy speaks to Aww. because they don't have any you know he heard that they don't have anything and which is really cool. And he wrote little messages inside the little plane that says, you know, you are loved. It just, Aww. you know, that makes me feel like, you know, we're doing something right. Because he's got, he's got a huge heart. And he wants to go on every trip we go to, even though he can't go to the facilities we go to because, mm-hmm. you know, he's so young. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here, to be alive, to be able to talk to others mm. about perseverance and, and just trusting in God that we can make it through the storms in our lives. Amen. Amen. And Crystal, real quick. How do you how do you feel? I mean, knowing what he's gone through. I mean, and um, I mean, going into the marriage. What were you thinking? Um, really, at the beginning, it was just about us being in love and wanting to get married. You know, I mean, I knew everything, but when you're, you know, twenty mm-hmm. years old, you don't really think about, you know, the future of having to deal with you know, having to tell your children what has happened when they get old enough and issues like trust issues, things that he had to deal with and really finding out from all of our, you know, from his family, the kind of um, scar that it left Mm. was recently, we just found out, you know, within the last few years, it all, everybody started talking about it a lot more and it's left a deep scar with everyone and the family on how you know how terrible the situation it was so at the very beginning we didn't but you know now you guys I mean I know I knew he Mm -hmm. had issues with trust and things that were you know I had to tell him you know I'm not going to I'm not going anywhere I'm Mm -hmm. you know I'm here and um you know, there's just little moments that he would get insecure about. Yeah. What you know, whether I'm gonna always be there or not always be there. Yeah. I appreciate what yeah. is going on with both of you and you know, your unity and the love and your wonderful son I met earlier. I mean hopefully on the next time show we'll have him speak, say something or so. And um, I know um, people can reach you. It's just that time always flies, so we have yeah. less than a minute. <laughs> you know, people can, where can people reach you? Um, we have several websites. There's chriskeith.org, which is, uh, has videos and some blogs. But also there's our, our ministry website, which is Upward Bound Outreach. And the website is ubeoutreach.org. But, um, and, you know, I travel with 
uh, Brian Jackson, who was in the news recently, and we all just travel and share our testimonies and message of hope. And so Upward Bound Outreach is what I work for, and then ChrisKeith.org. I love for you to support um, Chris and what he's doing in ministry and, you know, speaking engagements and spreading the word definitely will, 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 will come in handy. I just want to thank the both of you for thank coming you. on the yeah. show this evening. For sure. uh, may God bless and prosper you always. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I trust this has inspired your heart today. Do you have an outstanding story you think might bless someone else? Send an email to podcast at manaexpress.com and also visit our website at www.manaexpress.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Mana Express. Watch out for more episodes of this podcast and bye for now.